Welcome in to Tailgate, live from the studios here in Cincinnati. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner. Coming off the tailgate of our lives, honestly. Mm. Penn State, wideout, was an absolute treat. We'll get into the grading review at the back end of the show. Also going to mention this, follow PFF underscore tailgate on Twitter. Drop a follow for us. Also, this week, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, in Chicago, at Soldier Field. The tailgate tour continues, but... You came here for the NFL Week Three review, Week Two review, and this thing, man, what an awesome slate! Let's start with the Giants at football team. Washington football team favored by four and a half in this one. Washington ends up winning 30-29. Highest graded players for Washington in this one: Jamin Davis, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen. Really speaks to the talent of that front seven for the Giants. Daniel Jones. Had a really good game. 91.3 yeah. PFF grade yeah. in this one. Caden Smith also played well. And Adoree Jackson, an 84.3 grade, the third highest graded player on the Giants team. My main takeaway from this one, and this is before even, I mean, I think with Nick Gates healthy, who obviously suffered a pretty significant lower leg injury in that game, the Giants offensive line sucks. And it's as long as it sucks, this is going to be, a, even with Daniel Jones earning a 91.3 grade, it's going to be very difficult to win football games with how bad this Giants offensive line is. Yeah. So I'll just read off the pass blocking grades in this game for the Giants offensive line. Billy Price, 8.7. Ben Bredesen, who came in for Nick Gates, 25.0. Nate Solder, 46.7. Andrew Thomas, 50.0. Will Hernandez, 56.3. None above 60. That's unwinnable. Un- unwinnably bad. You know, <laughs> like the fact that they were even in it was testament against, like you said, how well Daniel Jones played. But I, I don't. I don't know how many games you expect to win, and we're going to talk about this when we get to the Dolphins also. You just can't, you cannot run a consistent offense in today's NFL when you are that overmatched every team you play. And now, yeah, it's the Washington football team, best defense line in the NFL, one of the best defense lines in the NFL. But you can't get to that point where Daniel Jones, every single play, knows the boss come out or he's going to get toasted. And, and he thrived under pressure in this game, and that's evidenced by his grade in this one. But I'll, the other thing I'll say is where this honestly shows up, and we'll talk a lot about a lot of bad offensive lines in the NFL on this show, it also shows up in the run game, man. Like, like Saquon Barkley and company are not getting any yards before first contact. I think he had, what, like 40-plus yards in this game. He had a 41-yard run and then barely finished above 40 yards in this game because consistently hit at or behind the line of scrimmage. This is going to be very hard to win football games in New York with the state of this offensive line. On the other side of the ball, my main takeaway here, I, I still feel like this Washington football d- team defense is a bit overvalued. It was good. It was good against the Giants offensive line. But I think that was a bigger testament to the Giants offensive line not being great, also down a man in Nick Gates early in that game, than it is actually this front seven. I know it's a good front seven. But still, they got pressure up front. They're, they rank inside the bottom five in EPA per play allowed through two weeks against the Chargers and now the Giants. They still were giving up a ton on the back end. William Jackson did not have a good game in this yeah, one. They were Neither did Landon Collins. I, I mean, this is a tough secondary. It, it, it's a talented defense, but they're still not living up to top five hype. Yeah, they were a Darius Layton drop or a Dexter Lawrence not offsides away from losing that game. And that wasn't even offsides. Like, Washington Ooh, okay, wins this game. That's what I was going to say. Do you think he was actually those? The, the, the officials going? came out and said it wasn't offsides, and they end up calling the Giants and apologizing. Really? Yes. I, I thought after watching the video that he was still probably offsides. No, the, the officials legitimately admitted to the mistake and said he was not offsides. So we'd be literally talking about a you know a Daniel Jones stellar game and a win over a ter- terrible offensive line, but instead, Dex Lawrence is wrongfully called offsides. They lose this football game, and Darius Slayton drop away from losing this game as well. Like this Washington football team, I don't even think it's the drop from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Taylor Heineke. 
I mean, this defense is just not living up to top five expectations, in my opinion. That was my other takeaway, though, was that I'm not sure there's a massive drop-off. Like, Taylor Heineke, he's not going to be great. You're not going to go out there and win you games. But in that one, 50 dropbacks, not a single turnover-worthy play. Now they did a pretty good job of pass protecting him. I thought Sam Cosme had a much, much better week, too. And now, again, it's one of the things we're going to be talking about throughout with these rookies competition level it's week one he's going up against uh you know uh gosh nick bosa joey bosa excuse me and then week two he's going up against uh lorenzo carter o'shane zimenez like those are different animals you Mm -hmm. look better when you pass protect against like competition that you're going up against really really matters especially from a grading perspective so to see that obviously encouraging you have to beat the lesser edge rushers in the nfl before you start beating the good ones before we jump off to Saints at Panthers, going to one, shout out the San Diego State Aztecs. That's why I'm wearing the Aztecs gear today. They're 3-0, baby. With an upset win over the Utah Jets. Come on. I'm just... Come on. You have to bring it up. Triple OT. Right after. San Diego State. You had to bring it up. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, is that, and this is, this is the segue, mm. the college football recap on tailgate is now on Wednesdays. The, mo- the, the, the Monday sowed, the Monday, oh, yeah. Tuesday sowed, is NFL review, the Wednesday sowed, college football review, and then the Thursday episode previewing both slates, just in case you came here for the college football recap. Because I got some takes. Ole Miss looking good. Jerrion Ely is going to be on the show here soon. I also got Iki Aquanu coming on the show soon. Going to have some talented college football players on tailgate here soon. Now, Saints at Panthers. I loved the Saints minus three in this game. On the road, coming off a juggernaut win against the Green Bay Packers. And they just lay flat on their face. I mean, this is... Just catastrophic Winston at its finest. Panthers win this game 26-7 to at home as three-point dogs. In week one, the Saints offense ranked first in EPA per play. In week two, they ranked dead last. Jameis Winston looked horrendous. My, my main takeaway, I have it written here, Jameis Winston is still Jameis Winston. And when he has to press, that's the thing. They always had to lead in that Green Bay game. Mm-hmm. When he has to press and when he has to put on that superhero cape, that's when... He start, you start to see these old ways, and he starts to put the ball in harm's way, and they ultimately lose this game to Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers, 26-7. Yeah, I, that was my main takeaway, too, is that Jameis, I, I do think the high end is still something that you weren't getting with Drew Brees, but the low end is also something you weren't getting with Drew Brees. Like, they're not going to be this consistent team that's going to win, whatever, 13 games they won last year. They'll probably win somewhere around 10-11 but they can beat anybody on any given weekend is kind of how I feel about them with Jameis Winston. So it goes from 89.5 grade in week one to a 40.7 this past week. My favorite play, and by favorite, I the mean huck. the least favorite, was him at a 45-degree angle to his left. <laughs> like, the ball, like, I don't know what he looked He looked like a outfielder, like, falling away from a ball that he picked up going to his left and just, like, let it go. And I was like, there's no chance. Like, there's no chance. No one's ever in the history of the NFL completed a pass from that body angle, 40 yards downfield, or however far he was trying to do it. I love Obviously, it. it I love it. You talk, we talk about fun to watch every week here. James yeah. Winston is legitimately a Six Flags roller coaster. I don't know if that's. Yeah. I don't know if there's Six Flags everywhere, but that's an amusement park I know of. Still, I, I still love it. And I. What's great? We talked about this after Week One. The Saints. Moved so much after week one. Their win total got up to 10.5. Their playoff odds, I think they were like minus 140 or something along those lines. Where's your take on the future of the Saints team? I know you just said 10, 11 wins, but are you even are you betting playoff playoffs? Yes. Are you betting over 10.5 wins? I, I still think they make the playoffs. Gotcha. I, I do. Um, my second biggest takeaway here, though, Morgan Fox. 
free agent signing coming over from the Los Angeles Rams. This guy's for real. This is one of the best value free agent signings I've seen so far. Got him for a two-year, $8.1 million deal, the Panthers did. He's kind of a 6'3", 275-pound DT edge sort of hybrid. In this game, he had seven pressures against New Orleans. He was tearing up Andres Pete. I mean, he was dominant in this game. Very impressive. Um, like I said, th- this guy already. So last year with the Rams, 68.3 pass rushing grade. Kind of a breakout year for him. He's a former undrafted creation from Colorado State. Having wa- gone through and watched this game, that was legitimate tape. He is just another piece to that defensive line that won that matchup. Like that that was how they won week one, the offline dominated Green Bay's front. This week, not the case. Carolina had their way. Didn't even mention the highest graded players in this game. Morgan Fox, the highest graded Panthers player yes, at an eighty four point two. Sean Chandler, seventy seven point one, and DJ Moore, the number three. Marcus Williams was the Saints highest graded player at seventy six point three. After that, Demario Davis and Desmond Trufant. My other takeaway, Sam Darnold in the post Adam Gase era of his career isn't horrendous. Like he's not he's not, you know, top of the line, he's not top ten, he's not top eight in, in PFF grade so far, but he's not bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And I think that's enough. I mean, the Panthers are 2-0. I think that's enough for this Carolina Panthers team to at least be competitive. I'm not picking them to win the Super Bowl, but I, I think it's encouraging to see Sam Darnold not completely rooted in his, own way, in his own ways or old ways, the Gase ways, if you will. The other thing I added is the Panthers pass rush ranks second in pressure rate. They're one of two teams in the NFL. We'll mention the other one here soon with over 50% of dropbacks faced with a pressure. Brian Burns is playing well. You mentioned Morgan Fox. This defensive line is getting after it. That was my other takeaway. So, Darnold, back-to-back games over 70.0. Hasn't happened since Week 12 and Week 13 of 2019. He's only had three straight games of 70.0 three times, twice in his career. So, we shall see if we have a different Darnold on our hands here. Bengals at Bears. Bears favored by one and a half at home in this game. A lot of people... We're betting the Bengals late. They saw some money come their way, but still, even with Andy Dalton getting hurt in this game, the Bears win 2017. There's no place other to, you know, I'll, I'll say the highest graded players here. Jalen Johnson, 92.2 PFF grade, the former Utah cornerback for the Chicago Bears, highest graded player in this game. And also, I think he's the highest graded cornerback through, through two weeks in the NFL. Roquan Smith had a pick six. He's going to grade well. Bilal Nichols also for the Bears grading well. And then for the Cincinnati Bengals, Logan Wilson, who had a pick, Tyler Boyd, and DJ Reader, the three highest graded players. My main takeaway is this offense, led by Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow, is so, so conservative. They run on early downs at the second highest rate in the NFL, despite not being like overly winning game scripts. Like they are losing games <laughs> yeah. most of the time, losing or near losing games, and they're still not throwing the ball enough. And, and, and Joe Burrow has a very low average depth to target. They're lucky to see some deep passes in every game. This offense is just not attacking. They're playing like they have you know the 85 Bears defense, and they just don't. And that, I think, is the biggest concern for me. Yeah, the, the, I wrote down my biggest takeaway here is they don't have an identity. They, you, so they, they brought Zach Taylor over and, now, I don't know what the Bengals thought they were getting themselves in-house, but the media, local media, fans around here were billed or were sold that they were getting Sean McFay's offense. You were getting what they're running in Los Angeles. And now we've said before, this isn't the first time I brought this up, but like it, it hasn't been. It's not been close. It hasn't looked anything like that, in fact. Like the principles and whatever are not there at all. You watch Kentucky's offense, who brought over Liam Cohen, an offensive assistant from the Rams, to now be their OC. It looks more like Sean McFay's offense, what they're running in college at Kentucky. So I I do think that 
the lack of cohesiveness and the lack of basically a plan to protect Joe Burrow outside of, hey, let's go five wide, let's go these empty sets. They love to do it at LSU and let him get the ball out of his hands quickly. But, oh, if he can't get the ball out of his hands, he's getting killed because their O-line stinks. That's kind of their identity right now, which, again, is not really an identity. And that conservative approach, I mean, you saw Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow make comments on the approach here. Jamar Chase, we waited to the last minute to take shots in a post-game interview. And then yeah. even Joe Burrow, at least make them feel like you're going to be able to do that and call some plays that go over their head. Like, that, that is rough in Cincy, man. And we talked about in the pre-se- you know, preseason shows about some of the coaches with the hottest seats. Mm-hmm. Zach Taylor, that thing's fucking burning, bro. That is a barbecue right now yeah. because they just have too much talent. They have too much talent for Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins to look this bad and yeah. be this conservative. Again, we need to see a better approach. My other takeaway, though, <laughs> is that the Bears' offense is somehow more conservative. And I know they're, they're playing with different standards here, and also that offensive line is worse. And they had Justin Fields come in in this game when he wasn't expected to. They have the lowest average depth of target as a team through two weeks, and this game was no different. You know, Allen Robinson's route tree is all near the line of scrimmage. They're not taking a ton of shots. That, I think, is a concern if you're looking at this Bears team to win a ton of games this year. However, they're dealing with different circumstances. They're dealing with a rookie quarterback that came in for an injured Andy Dalton. Yeah. And I, I, think, I don't think you can compare. Like, Joe Burrows, this is second year in the system. They have the offense. They have the weapons. Um, I think there are bigger concerns in Cincinnati than there are in Chicago. Yeah, uh, I mean, Chicago's got their own concerns. It's well, just, I'm, I'm you, you saying in know. terms of expectations. Like, okay, Chicago's yeah, not yeah. expected to exactly. play well this yeah, year. Yeah. Cincinnati's supposed to be taking this step yeah. forward. I agree with that. I, 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 I will say, like, judging Justin Fields off of not, you know, begin, getting the reps all week and then getting thrust, thrust in there, it wasn't great. But he did have the really nice throw to Allen Robinson that did get dropped. Like, he, he played okay, had some nice runs outside the pocket. I'm not going to crush him too much for that, like we will <laughs> some of these other rookies here yeah. in a minute. But, again, the bigger worry is – Cincinnati, you just have to you have to utilize the fact that you have two dynamic wide three dynamic wide receivers and you have no offensive line. You have to go more max protect. You have to go more two man concepts. Like you have to go you have to be attacking more down down the football field. You are not you do not have the offensive line to dink and dunk to get six yards, seven yards, eight yards every and to work your way down the field that way because a sack immediately screws takes you out of drives. Any negative rush takes you out of drives. Like you cannot afford that. You have to win off of explosive plays, and that's that. Even even with as conservative and kind of t- tight as the offense has been, their scoring plays have been a, like big plays. Yeah, like that's how they have scored. Jamar Chase both this week and last week. So take more of those chances. You know, give those guys more jump balls, more go balls down the football field, and let them make. I don't know. I think they should be handing it off to Joe Mixon behind one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL on 70% of early downs. I don't know. That's my take. That's my take. The the other thing I'll add is I love Jamar Chase's comment. A reporter asked him how he he won that rep. He's like, beat the cornerback off the line per usual. That's uh, Jamar Chase, the confidence oozes. Before we get to Texas. Oh, my last takeaway, Jalen Johnson. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Monster game. That was... It just if you're going to run hitches against Jalen Johnson, he, he's going to eat you alive. Eat you alive. Fantastic, fantastic stuff from Jalen Johnson, a former PFF darling. Uh, before we get to Texans at Browns, Browns favored by 13 and a half in that game, did not cover the spread. <sighs> week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly. 
when they bet one dollar on any football game listen up because you don't want to miss this head to DraftKings sportsbook app now and place a bet of one dollar on any week three game to receive 150 dollars in free bets instantly if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Texans at Browns. A lot of people, including myself, expected a bludgeoning. It did not show up. Browns win this game 31-21. I honestly think they were lucky Terod Taylor got hurt. Because Davis Mills came in this game and was the lowest grade player. Yeah. <laughs> he did not play well, really struggled, as expected, though. I mean, we, we bagged on Davis Mills in that selection a ton, but no one expected him to come into this game, probably with no reps in the week, to have any success against this Browns defense, and he didn't. However, I think the Browns got out of this one lucky. Tyrod Taylor was the highest graded player for the Houston Texans. Justin Reed and Brandon Cooks were two and three. Harrison Bryant, actually the highest graded player for the, uh, for the Cleveland Browns after that. Malcolm Smith, the linebacker, and Mac Wilson, the other one. So my main takeaway, I think any reason for optimism, and we were talking highly about the Texans after their, their upset win over the Jags in week one, dies if Tyrod Taylor can't play. Because oh. Davis Mills, you know, and there yeah. was not a lot of reason for <laughs> No one was picking the Texans to win the AFC South. No one was picking them to do much. But if you wanted to even like watch like good games, like Davis Mills is not the answer. And as long as Terod Taylor is hurt, this team is going to look worse than even expected. No, I agree. And it's truthfully, obviously they didn't have much options before, but Davis Mills was just awful. Like that was not good. There was not a lot to be optimistic about. And again, same caveat for Justin Fields. Sure. Not getting the refs, coming in, not supposed to be the guy. You're not supposed to look good, so they're not going to kill him. But hopefully Tyrod with a hamstring comes back because my big takeaway is Tim Kelly, their office coordinator, who was the OC the past few years here with Sean Watson. He deserves a little bit more love. And unfortunately, I don't think he's going to get it because of obviously the offense. It's, it is far, far exceeding expectations, but it's still not going to be like a good offense by the end of the year. And so usually it's the guys who are coordinating, you know, the team scoring the most points that end up getting the most love and getting looks at head coaching jobs. But what he has done, I thought the way he has sort of schemed around Terod Taylor and his you know limitations, or I guess how Terod Taylor wins, has been exceptional over the first two weeks. Like they have looked good legitimately when Terod's been in the game. So... I will say Tim Kelly, their head, their office coordinator, uh, brother of Dennis Kelly, actually, Tennessee Titans, yeah. now former Eagle Titan. I think he's now with the Packers, off his tackle. And he also went to Eastern Illinois, which is head coach U, where Sean Payton, Mike Shanahan, and Brad Childress all went to school. Head coach U? Head coach U? <laughs> Eastern Illinois, baby. Right down the street from where I grew up. That's incredible. I uh, love that. My other takeaway I had is Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski are still – performing at a high level this and they, they they lost Jarvis Landry early in this game with an injury mm-hmm. obviously still didn't have Odell Beckham Jr. that's why Harrison Bryant got so much play but right now Baker Mayfield 16 of 16 
on play action dropbacks for over, for 245 yards so far this year. Like they are cooking on the play action. That offensive line is playing well. I have a lot of reasons for optimism for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. I said that after week one, even in that loss in Kansas City, I think this offense can do numbers. Now they just need to stay healthy. They need some receiving options. Like going down from losing OBJ and Jarvis Landry, I think we saw the report now that Landry might miss a few weeks. That you're going to need some talent there. You can't you're against you know better defenses than what the Houston Texans are trotting out. It's eventually going to hurt you. It's not going to always, you know, always be that easy without the receiving talent. Yes, that was my second biggest takeaway is that I worry about almost the specialization of this Browns receiving core in that once once they do like have to obvious pass situations. I don't, I don't think it matters much when you're in that play action game or when defenses have to give you sort of base and static looks. I, I don't worry too much that Anthony Schwartz isn't going to beat a guy with a slant route. But it's like when you are in those obvious pass situations, when it's a two-minute drill or when you're down towards the end of the game and have to come back, I worry that they don't have almost interchangeable type of wide receivers. Like Anthony Schwartz has to run a certain route tree to be successful. And so when that is the case, you almost know as a defense what you're going to get when, say, Anthony Schwartz lines up wide against you as a right cornerback. Like you know it's probably not going to be a hitch route, a five, six-yard hitch route or something like that. So – I do worry about that going forward with this Browns wide receiving core until they get completely healthy. On to Rams at Colts. Colts were four-point dogs in this one. They end up covering the number but losing this game. Rams win 27-24. to Aaron Donald with a monster game. He was the highest-graded player in this one. Cooper Cup and Troy Reader also earning 90-plus grades for the Los Angeles Rams. And then on the Colts side, no player above 80.0, but still DeForest Buckner, highest-graded player for the Colts. Michael Pittman and Julian Blackman at number two and number three. Takeaways. Carson Wentz is not losing games for the Indianapolis Colts. He hasn't played well. But he hasn't played horrendously. And that, I think, a lot of people expected. A lot of people expected his, his concerns to be driving these Colts' losses. What is losing games for the Indianapolis Colts is this defense. They're 31st in passer rating allowed and 27th in EPA per play allowed. This defense is not playing well. Other, I, I, of course, they went against the juggernaut in the Rams this week. But still, like this is a tough look for this Colts' defense where I don't think Carson Wentz is playing losing football right now. He's not playing great football, but he's not playing losing football. Well, Jacob Easton was also playing losing yeah, football. Yeah. That's kind of the reason why, obviously, it didn't work out at the end. But I think it's it, it comes back to the... I, he's not losing them games, but you gave up a lot of cap space and draft capital to get him. For him to win games. For him to win games, exactly. You gave up with the expectation that he is going to carry a team that was a playoff team. That's a bad sure. expectation. I'm just saying, that was the expectation, or you don't give up that much for a guy. And so... This one was a more encouraging performance, in my opinion, than what we saw last week against the Seahawks because I thought it was a much more difficult opponent that he was facing and started actually taking some, I guess, just targeting the receivers on the outside more. Michael Pittman developing rapport with him, actually going down the football field, but still, again, not enough, in my opinion, to, to really be encouraged if you are a Colts fan by your chances of making the playoffs this year. I would agree with you that when you give up that much capital and that much cap space for a quarterback, you're setting that expectation that he's going to come in and be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. And that, in my opinion, was always an unrealistic expectation for Carson Wentz, regardless of the improvement he'll see behind this offensive line and this receiving court, whatever. But I do think he's exceeded my expectations so far and that he's not been completely awful. And now, obviously, he's dealing with injuries in both ankles. Both, both his ankles are hurt, which I don't know how long... 
that will lead him to be out. You have to hope he comes back in because Jacob Eason is going to kill these playoff dreams pretty quick, yeah. especially if these dif- this defense keeps giving up so many big plays through the air. That uh, is the other concern. My other takeaway here, through two weeks, the Rams have a top three offense and a top five defense in EPA per play. Ooh. And Jalen Ramsey is the best cornerback in the NFL. And it's not fucking close. It's not close, Mike. Hot take. It's not close. But like, I feel like it's close. For, who? 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 Um, Jair? Yeah, more than the no, no, no. I'm saying I'm puking to that. There's no way. I, I just don't think it. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I think Jalen Ramsey. When you think about what he can do, I mean, he's the best cornerback in the NFL. Not to bait that, but I'm just saying. I don't think it's close. I don't think it's close. I'd rather have Jalen Ramsey 150 times out of 150 over Jair Alexander, and that's evident in every element of his game. You know, both limiting the pass, playing the run, physicality, setting the tone, all that. Uh, I think I think Jalen Ramsey continues to have wild, wild success, and the Rams are looking to have him. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong about that. Uh, he's the best cornerback in the NFL. But I would debate the other part. My biggest, I think, biggest takeaway was Cooper Cup is maybe the most underrated receiver in the NFL. Actually, that's not true. Brandon Cooks is the most underrated receiver in the NFL because he Good always take. goes for Good a take. thousand yards, Good take. and no one gives him any respect. That dude's legit. But Cooper Cup is maybe a close second, maybe a close second in that regard because one. Open at will underneath. Underneath intermediate, he's open. He just does. He gets open consistently. And then two, after the catch, is wildly, wildly underrated. One of the best in the NFL. Already has four broken tackles on the season through two games. Two broken tackles in this one. He is consistent hands. One of the most reliable. Best after the catch. That's that's a winning combination. And he's thought of as kind of maybe at times was maybe thought of as like the number three guy there. No, this is, in my opinion, he's better than Robert Woods. This is their best wide receiver. Yeah, and I think they do a really good job, you know, McVeigh obviously, knowing that he's that talented because they do a yeah. lot to scheme, not scheme him open, but like scheme him targets. Yeah. And he gets a lot in that offense. I think he's a, a fantasy value as well to dip into that a little bit. On to Broncos at Jaguars. This was Jaguars are six point dogs at home. And honestly, I never I didn't want to put any money behind the Broncos. I wasn't ready, but I should have. Because Broncos win 20, 23-13. I don't think it was ever in doubt. Mm-hmm. Von Miller, highest graded player for the Broncos. Javante Williams also looked really good in this game. Broke multiple tackles. He was the second highest graded player. And Garrett Bowles also grading well for the Jags. All on defense. Dwayne Smoot, Devon Hamilton, and Andrew Wingard, former Wyoming standout. The three highest graded players on the Jags. Teddy Two Gloves, my main takeaway. Teddy Two Gloves is thriving in Denver. Legitimately thriving. And uh, I know it's against a bad Jaguars defense. And in week one, you know, not a lot of people expected him to win that game either. But still continues to impress for me. I think the the leash continues to extend, too. If there was ever any doubt or any idea that, you know, Drew Locke could be pushing to start if Teddy started to struggle, I think they're going to continue to throw out rope for that leash on Teddy because he is continuing to play well. And he's a big reason why they're 2-0 and 2-0 against the spread. Only two teams in the NFL are 2-0 and 2-0 against the spread. Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. Denver Broncos already exceeding um, what were low expectations, but still improving. Yeah. So I, in my notes, I wrote down Teddy this year reminds me a lot of Dalton 2015, where the Bengals went 12 and four, where it's like, it's so good that you're still going to, you're going to win games. Like everything around you is such a nice, like the offensive line is playing exceptionally defense, secondary going to, you can rely on them consistently week in and week out to where, like Teddy, the pressure on him is about as low as it gets right now. Like even though it was, you know, a competition or whatever, he's not being asked to do too much. Like what he has done his whole career is really all they're asking him to do. He's not being asked to be someone he's not. 
And so it, it is a lot like the situation he had when he was in New Orleans and looked so good and got that big contract for Carolina where it's just like things are so nice that you're going to win games and he's not going to lose you games as your starter. In average to above average expectations, Teddy Bridgewater can be a competent winning quarterback. And yeah. that's what we're seeing in Denver right now. And that's why you know, I think Fangio made this decision to start him because they, they wanted, they knew that that's just, this supporting cast would play well. And the secondary, you mentioned it, but a 63.7 passer rating allowed for the Broncos secondary through two weeks. That's the second best passer rating allowed in the NFL. Patrick Sertan and company Kareem Jackson all playing well. My second biggest takeaway, I mean, the Jaguars are kind of a lost cause on both sides of the ball. You know, their supporting cast is not playing at maybe what people expected. The offensive line is struggling. Defensively, you're not seeing development from some of their younger players. You said some of this last week. Caleb on Chason, Josh Allen, C.J. Henderson. Like When your highest-graded players are Dwayne Smoot, Devon Hamilton, Andrew Wingard, you are not seeing the development from your high-end picks. That, in my opinion, is the concern. But what I want to hear from you, and I think this is the mm-hmm. biggest question. I, I, I mentioned it in our content meeting. Why aren't we writing a piece on, Teddy, or on Trevor Lawrence? And why he's not, you know, why is he the lowest graded quarterback in the NFL right now? Should we be more concerned about Urban Meyer or should we be more concerned about Trevor Lawrence? What is your takeaway now through two weeks on what is going wrong with Lawrence in this offense? I'll say that I am not pushing any sort of panic button on Trevor Lawrence. Honestly, if you're talking about him versus Zach Wilson, my biggest takeaway is he's been far, 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 far more encouraging than what I've seen from Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson has done some legitimately worrisome things through two weeks to where, you know, the game might, the, the game looks too fast and is different for him at times. I don't think that's necessarily the case for Lawrence. He's just honestly missing throws and doesn't have the rapport with his receivers he did at Clemson. Like that go ball that got picked off is one that the throw, the sort of the placement of that throw was perfect. It's just he has to realize that his guys aren't going to win every single time in the go balls. He doesn't have T. Higgins going up against college corners. He has he threw it to Colin Johnson going up against Patrick Sertan. Like he, he threw it to a, a mismatch that was in favor of the defense. So I think those things, the more he sees those, and the more he's going to be like, okay, I can't take that chance. Maybe I wait till T.J. Chark has the go ball against you know yeah. a lesser cornerback. So I do think that is something he's going to learn. But like, if you're looking for like a big reason to be excited is that he's been under pressure on now i believe 24 dropbacks only two sacks that's a pressure sack conversion rate of 8.3 percent that's an elite number the the fact that he is still not looking like not panicking knowing how to get the ball out of his hands when pressure comes i think it's only a matter of time with him so like i said it's been bad there have been bad decisions and he's had some bouts of inaccuracy but he has shown far more encouraging signs than honestly I don't want to say even Mac Jones, but because I think Mac Jones has obviously performed better. But I think with his talent level, yeah, I, I think by the end of the season he'll be the better of the two. Two things there, a follow up question. One, if you are pressing or even nearing the panic button on Trevor Lawrence after two weeks, you're doing it wrong. Like it doesn't matter how how bad his grade has been. He's the lowest grade quarterback in the NFL. No quarterback has thrown a higher percentage of inaccurate passes than Trevor Lawrence. No quarterback has a lower completion percentage on throws of five plus yards than Trevor Lawrence. However, if you are even nearing the panic button, you're looking at this wrong. It's just been an underwhelming performance. Two, you didn't make our, bring up one name in that diatribe. Urban Meyer. How much of this should be on Urban Meyer? How much should this be on this offense? I mean, they're consistently throwing the ball downfield. So, I, I mean, very high average depth of target for a rookie quarterback. 10.9 yard average depth of target for Trevor Lawrence. It's the highest in the NFL. Like, are, are they getting to a... Where, where, where is Urban Meyer in this, you know, firing line? Um, 
I, I guess that is the eighty-eight dropbacks through two games. One of the highest in the NFL. I think only Dak Prescott has more dropbacks through two games. Um, it's been all on him. Like it has yeah. been. Hey Trevor, go out and win us every game. They're not running the football, and, and now, obviously, SPFF is like, yeah, that's how you eventually win games when Trevor Lawrence is playing well. But right now, it's putting a lot on his plate to ask him, ask that of him. Let's jump to Bills at Dolphins. Ooh, my last takeaway: Tony Muti got to start. Nine, 79.9 overall grade. 97.9? 79.9. 70, oh, like, what? I didn't see that show up. Seven, seven, okay, 79.3 overall grade looked good in this one at right guard. Moving dudes off the line, he's back, baby. <laughs> For those who don't know and haven't followed this podcast since like mm. probably episode one, Natani Muti, former Fresno State guard, that was highly coveted on this podcast, highly coveted at PFF, battled injuries at Fresno State, and then battled injuries in his first year in the NFL, bouncing back Denver Broncos guard Natani Muti, nastiest offensive lineman in that class, maybe the nastiest offensive lineman in the NFL. Bills at Dolphins, yikes. Dolphins were three-and-a-half-point dogs at home, and it did not matter. Bills, 35-0. to zero. A lot of this, obviously, is that Tua Tungabailoa got hurt. Tua Tungabailoa gets hurt, and this offensive line had one of the worst performances in a single game I've ever seen. And from a PFF perspective, statistically, one of the worst performances we've ever seen. They allowed pressure on more than 70% of the dropbacks in this game. <laughs> I've never seen that. I've never seen that. I looked. I tried to look back, and I was looking through Ultimate. Two, three years, four years, we have not seen that. We have not seen that much pressure in a single game. And I, the Bills' defensive line, you look at the highest-graded players, A.J. Vanessa, former PFF darling, Matt, Matt Milano, the linebacker. He had seven pressures, by the way. Matt Milano rushed the passer 11 times and had seven pressures. This offensive line was in absolute shambles. Well, it's Miles Gaskins, too. It was not picking up a blitz saves life. Uh, well, the offense in general. But that, yeah. John Feliciano was the third highest graded player for the Bills. And for Miami, Andrew Van Ginkle, 91.1. Zach Seiler, 86.6. And Xavier Howard, who had a sick interception in this game, 82.3. My main takeaway, I kind of already hinted at, this Dolphins offensive line is a disaster. Yep, same as mine. Tua, four of six dropbacks is under pressure. Under pressure. Uh, Brissett had even a higher rate for a full game. That's, <laughs> again, unwinnable. You can't win football games when your offensive line is that bad. And we said it. We said it. We're like, we're relying on guys who haven't looked good in the past to now look good. And that's a dangerous, dangerous game. And they're finding out the hard way that the Dolphins panic button, I'm pushing it because that's, I don't think it's changing anytime soon. Banking on young development along the offensive line is kind of the, the, the kind of the common denominator around a lot of these bad offensive lines. You look at the Atlanta Falcons with some of the picks that they've made, mm-hmm. Jalen Mayfield, um, the left tackle that's, you know, escaping me, um, we're talking about Atlanta Falcons? Atlanta Falcons. I mean, Jake Madison's left tackle, but no, Kalen right Gary, yeah, yeah. Gary and Chris Lindstrom. Spent two first-round picks on Lindstrom and Gary, and then you have, obviously, Jalen Mayfield not playing well. And then you look at the the Giants, have not seen success from you know developing Andrew Thomas. Yeah. There are uh, some concerns there in Miami. The other takeaway I had, and we could probably move off this game quickly because it was just an absolute bludgeoning. Josh Allen. You know, Steve Palzola in the NFL podcast today wore a Josh Allen jersey. That looked pretty fucking sick, by the way. That away jersey is hot. Yeah. The all-way is hot. Inaccuracy is driving a lot of the drop in efficiency for Josh Allen. He has a sub-62 point overall grade through two weeks. I'm not overreacting. I'm not saying, regression, regression, we told you, we told you. But if you're looking for a reason why maybe this hasn't looked as good as last year, he said bottom three in accuracy percentage according to PFS ball charting, where we chart the actual location of the throw, not completion percentage. He's bottom five in PFF grade through two weeks. Your takeaways from Josh Allen starts the season. He faced two really good defenses. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not... Face Miami, face Pittsburgh. 
that happens. Yeah. So I'm, that one's just to be, I don't want to say to be expected. You would hope he would rise above it, but uh, I will hold off really criticizing him too much until he plays, you know. You go up against the Jets defense and you look like that, well, then you might have a problem. With some concerns. So, uh, <laughs> My other takeaway is AJ Epinesa, baby. 90.9 overall grade in this one. Now, we just dogged uh, yeah. the Dolphins offensive line, and that's obviously a big part of it. But nice to see there with the Bills. They got some young talent in that edge room. It's loaded. I know we have the bus watch segment on this pod. Could Austin Jackson be making an early trip? We already we already gave. Oh, Austin did you already Jackson. give it to yeah, him right, oh, in the preseason? Remember that? That's when he was, brutal. I mean, he was the lowest grade offense tackle in the preseason. So, and so far this year, he's allowed the highest pressure percentage of any tackle this year. He's gotten worse. Yeah, he's that's, gotten worse. Um, that's rough to see. Rough to see. He's still young though. Still young. Remember, he got twenty two years old. Twenty two years old. He'll, he'll bounce back. All right. Patriots at Jets. Jets are actually five and a half point dogs at home in this one. Patriots win handedly 25-6. to six. Zach Wilson, to thank for that. I mean, four picks in this game did not look good. We already spoke to that. He's the you know, Trevor Lawrence is the lowest-graded quarterback in the NFL. Zach Wilson's the second-lowest-graded quarterback. He's also got you know a lot of inaccuracy, a lot of turnover-worthy plays. He has not, I will say it again, not played well. Meanwhile, Patriots defense, largely off the four picks, has the lowest passer rating allowed of any defense this season. My main takeaway, or before we get to that, highest-graded players. Patriots, Michael and Wainu. Continues to be a standout. He was the highest-graded player for the Pats. Then Dietrich Wise Jr. and J.C. Jackson at 2-3. and For the Jets, Connor McGovern, 85.5 PFF grade. C.J. Mosley, number 2. And Fulorenzo Fotokasi at number 3. My biggest thing is Mac Jones has been okay. I think he ranks 17th or in that range in PFF grade through two weeks. He had the really ugly, like, backwards pass fumble thing in week one that drove his grade down pretty pretty handily. And a couple drop Mm -hmm. picks, I think, in this this past week. I think he has three or four turnover plays total. Um, he's been okay, but that's all he needs to be behind this offensive line with Damien Harris legitimately being an absolute monster and this defense playing as well as it has. You know who his rookie season reminds me of so far? So only 70.2 overall grade, but it reminds me a lot of how Daniel Jones looked as a rookie. Yikes. But he has good pass protection. He's only been under pressure on 21 of his 73 dropbacks so far. That's hot. One of the lower rates in the NFL compared to... Daniel Jones, who was under pressure, has been under pressure since he stepped on a football field at Duke. You know, so uh, that there's my there's my comfort, I, I, and that's good. It's a good thing. Like it's yeah. he looks like he belongs right out the gate. I, again, I don't think he's going to win you any games. Like, I don't, he doesn't look like he's going to go out there and win you a shootout. But that was a solid all around performance that didn't you know cost them uh, a game that was you know eminently winnable. The other side of the ball, though, Zach Wilson has zero confidence in his offense line. He went from a BYU offensive line where he literally could dance in pockets as much as he wanted to. He could f- be five yards off the hash and still no one would touch him in the pocket to now if he is not getting the ball out of his hands to his first read, someone's going to be in his face. And that is a problem. Almost 50% of his dropbacks in this game. And, and it's not, again, not all in the offensive line. He has to trust it. Like there was a pocket where there's a blitz coming and his running back's coming across the formation. And if his running back picks it up and he steps up, in the pocket, he's money. He has two or three more seconds, but all of a sudden he starts backing out because he's terrified. Like mm-hmm. he is terrified that one guy is going to lose up front. And then when you are in that pocket, one guy loses up front, you have nowhere to escape to. And so he's kind of playing Pat, and Patrick Mahomes does this too. And not to say that it's not a 
path to success. But Patrick Mahomes does it when he has complete command of his offense mm-hmm. and knows where everyone's going to be. Zach Wilson, as soon as he's backing out, he has now stopped thinking about the offense. He has mm-hmm. stopped thinking about where his receivers' distributions are and is basically playing like he's out on a schoolyard and is heaving up balls left and right to receivers that Not receivers. he doesn't know where they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that is the biggest worry to me is that you can't play that style of ball until you are really immersed in the offense and know where everything's going to be. I think that's fantastic analysis. Can I say this? Yeah. Sounds like the uh, the ghosts haven't left New York. Oh, no. Don't say it. But Is yes. he seeing ghosts? But that, that would be... That would be kind of the definition of seeing ghosts. <laughs> That's uh, fantastic. On to 49ers at Eagles. But before we do so, got to shout out proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of big news Saturday, season two where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They just recently released Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, and West Virginia. And that West Virginia gear is sick. I love West Virginia's branding. I think it's underrated in, in college football. They came out with some gear for that. We're going to be in Morgantown later this year. Might have to cop. Uh, use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF to get 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. 49ers-Eagles. 49ers favored by three points on the road against Philly. Philly coming off a, a big win in week one. Highest graded players for the San, 49ers win this game 17-11. Closer than probably a lot of people expected. I know this, the line was only three. But I think a lot of people expected 49ers to go to Philly and have a, you know, a day, you know, really win this game handily, but they didn't. Uh, Trent Williams was the highest graded player for San Francisco. Lincoln Tomlinson, the guard, also grading well. And Arik Armstead at number three. Jordan Mailata continues. To yeah. be on a tear after getting that big contract from Philly. Highest graded player for them. Kez Watkins had a nice deep ball and graded well. And Isaac Sumalo, 85.3 grade, Philadelphia Eagles guard, the number three player. My big takeaway this offense for the 49ers is living and not yet dying, but living after the catch, man. No quarterback has had a higher percentage of their passing yards come after the catch than Jimmy G. And that's. Par for the fucking course. Like, this is the same offense we saw last year with Jimmy G. He gets the ball out, facilitates, and lets Debo Samuel and company cook after the catch. And that's enough to beat Philly 17-11. That's enough, you know. But my t- – and I put in all caps here, Mike, and I don't really mean it because they're still winning games or whatever. But Trey Lance has to give this offense more opportunity to chase big plays. Like, I, I, you can't – live off of Debo Samuel leading the NFL in yards after the catch every week, can you? Or is this sustainable for them to be an actually good football team in December, January, and so on? That's that offense. I, I don't think that's necessarily You're not a terrible concerned. thing. I'm, I, I mean, I am concerned. Okay. Uh, my biggest takeaway was the 49ers 2-0, technically first place in the uh, AFC, NFC West. But if you were telling me right now, they look like the worst team in the NFC West. And through two weeks, how the Seahawks have looked. And yeah, I know the Seahawks just lost the Titans, but how the Cardinals have looked and how the Rams have looked. Of those three, four, yikes, the 49ers have looked the worst. I opinion. agree. So with that. That, that to me is they just don't, it's not quite all there. And then you factor in some of the injuries they've had and continue to keep having. And that it just, I think when you go, obviously, going up against the Lions, going up against the Eagles. When they go in that division and face, you know, the Rams, Seahawks, I just don't think it's going to – I think they're going to come back down to earth. I mean, the back end is probably the most concerning thing, right? I mean, the secondary has yeah. battled injuries. They've given up big plays. Um, 
I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried that this is not sustainable. I would at least say I'm worried, maybe even concerned. Jalen Hurts still playing above expectation was my second takeaway. Did not grade as well in this game as he did in week one, but still, like, I mean, you highlight that pass to Kez Watkins from his own end zone. That was on the money. And then the other one that got Cal back, the Jalen Rager touchdown where he stepped out of bounds or whatever, like, that was another really accurate deep ball. And, like, yes, a lot of his yards have also come after the catch. He has a low average depth of target, all of those things. But if you can hit on those shot plays, like, you can compete against good defenses. I think, again, I think this Eagles team is playing above expectation. And Jalen Hurts, like, is not the reason they're losing football games, or, or obviously they won in week one, but lost this football game. Yeah, I I agree it's above expectations, but again, is it enough? They scored 11 points in yeah. this one. So my other takeaway was Brandon Ayuk, man. What happened? Is not, th- this one blows my mind, because they loved him coming out, loved him year one, didn't get to see a target week one, two targets, one catch, six yards in this one. And it's not like, I mean, Jawan Jennings had more catches than him. The Tennessee wide receiver who only put, was on the field for three snaps. <laughs> like, what's going on without you getting the, this offense? Because like we said, 3.6 yards average death of target for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not like they are asking him to run downfield routes, separate, whatever. It's like you can throw, you can scheme this guy touches. And they are kind of just refusing to, saying, you know, Debo, Debo Samuel is the guy we're going to do that for, which is interesting to see in fantasy owners everywhere just, like, crying to their pillows. I mean, did he, hit, did he beat Kyle Shanahan's dog or something? I don't understand. Like, I don't understand what happened because I feel like he's fallen out of favor so quickly. Yeah, it's incredible. And I, and I don't even argue it has been because of incompetent play. I, mean, I know we haven't seen in pra- what's going on in practice, but that is another you know kind of stunning takeaway to have from this game. Raiders at Steelers, probably the most – egregious line this week you know there weren't a lot of significant injuries to drive this drive it in this direction but Raiders go on the road beat up the Pittsburgh Steelers as five and a half point dogs 26 to 17 win this game outright Hunter Renfro the highest graded player for Las Vegas at 86.3 Casey Hayward Jr. looking like a phenomenal free agent signing for the for the Raiders he's an 85.1 grade Derek Carr 81.3 the number three graded player for the Raiders and Cameron Hayward was the highest graded Steeler after that Big Ben Deontay Johnson um, the second and third highest graded players for Pittsburgh. Now, my biggest takeaway, I'm going to start positive. Colton Miller and Derek Carr are studs. They're playing really well right now. Colton Miller, I think, is one of two. Here's a stat for you, Mike. You like this? I like stats. Two offensive tackles with the most pass-blocking snaps played and zero sacks allowed. Colton Miller, Rashawn Slater, so far this season, playing well. Derek Carr, also one of the highest-graded quarterbacks in the NFL, leads the NFL in passing yards. He's over 300 yards in back-to-back games. And also, John Gruden, the coach, is dialing up a fantastic offense. Like, they're actually putting up points with reckless abandon and beating – they're 2-0 against the spread, 2-0 this season. Dogs in both games they've played, and they've won outright. I mean, this Raiders offense looks good, and, and Derek Carr specifically, Colt Miller, John Gruden, all deserve gold stars. Yes, uh, I have two two takeaways about the Raiders here, none really about the Steelers. But one, John Gruden's offense has legitimately evolved into one one of the more creative offenses in the NFL, and two like one of the most da- one of the more dangerous offenses in the NFL. And they did it. I have an article coming on PFF today about it, kind of by copying the Chiefs. Like you look at this offense and how it operates. A lot of the things they do in terms of like the shifts, shifting formations, getting Darren Waller who is in motion the most of any tight end in the NFL over the past since the start of last year, getting him into favorable looks to get him one-on-ones or get him uh, schemed open touches and that sort of thing. 
to where this offense is a very, very modern offense that, I mean, they go up against the Ravens defense last week, put up, what, 30-something, go against the Steelers this week, 27, 29 and a half points per game over two games. What John Gruden's doing there uh, is a is impressive, legitimately impressive. And the other thing, I mentioned it last week, I'll mention it again, the free agent signings, Casey Hayward, Yannick Ngakwe, K.J. Wright, are the three of their four highest-graded defensive players so far in the season, Max Crosby being the other one. Those were massive, massive signings yeah. that kind of got swept under the radar, all kind of budget sort of signings. Like Even Yannick Ngakwe was not getting the top dollar that some of the guys were in free agency, and all those guys have really transformed this Vegas defense. Yeah, they're playing well, really well, and they help send some of their you know busted, inexperienced first-round picks to the bench. I mean, Damon Arnett is not playing because of Casey Hayward. Yeah. Cleveland Furrell is largely not playing because of Unique Ngakwe. And you even factor in K.J. Wright is outplaying Corey Littleton, who was a high-priced free agent that they kind of whiffed on. Yeah. I think uh, you know a lot of bad personnel decisions being made up for with some you know veteran free agent signings of late, which I think is hugely encouraging. The other encouraging piece, no team has thrown at a higher rate on early downs oh, than the yeah. Las Vegas Raiders. I was mention that too. That, they, yeah. they, and, and why? Here's why. No running back room in the NFL has averaged fewer yards before first contact. That offensive line is not... Yeah. driving anything up front. I mean, they went against really good defensive lines, Ravens and Steelers, but still, they're throwing because they have to, and they're throwing, and it's working. Like, I, I, you have to be impressed with what this, this this Raiders team is doing, and they're doing it without a lot. Josh Jacobs didn't play in this game. Cleveland Furrell, I think, barely played. Damon, like, they're doing it without a lot of these guys contributing at a high level. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is I'm not – I will hold off to see if it's for real, but they went from Gruden's first year at the Raiders in a – neutral script, so not not garbage time, early down, first, second down, 50-50 run pass split. This year, 64% in those situations. That's now, fire. Is it is it because they don't have the running backs to do it? and Or is it because Gruden's actually sort of shifted his thinking? That's the TBD. But if that continues, that's what the Chiefs do. That's what the Bills do. That's what the best offense in the NFL do. If that continues, I do firmly believe this offense will be top 5-10 in the NFL this year. John Gruden, Derek Carr leading a more aggressive offense is something you just love to see if yes. you are a member of Raider Nation. Pittsburgh, my take, and not a lot of good ones here. The offensive line is bad. It's been bad, and it was highlighted preseason. It's highlighted in season. The T.J. Watt injury was tough because Alex Leatherwood was getting baked in this game. Gave up a strip sack in this one. He's one of the yeah. lowest-graded rookies through two weeks. Losing him was rough. Alex Otherwood also got hurt in this game. I think he left with an oblique injury, but um, wasn't a huge loss with TJ Watt off the field. Then Big Ben played better this week, but still has not been overwhelmingly positive. And the offensive line, you talk about the Raiders' offensive line not opening up holes. Najee Harris has gained like 90% of his yards after contact. And a lot of people are pointing at Najee Harris the bus and all that stuff, but like honestly, like he's got no help there. Like he had, He's forced more missed tackles than any running back this year. You know, so far, like on receptions and carries, but like struggling because there is no open lanes. There are no open lanes for the Steelers team. I think there's a lot offensively. There are bigger concerns. Big Ben not being a superhero in this offensive line struggling, but defensively, I mean, you have to hope TJ Watt gets back healthy soon. Yeah, agreed. All right, on to Vikings at Cardinals. The Vikings won this game, but they missed the field goal. Like, how, yeah, that was. I know what you mean. I, I think the Cardinals should not have won this game. That was a chip shot field goal in the middle of the hashes that Mike Zimmer, I'm surprised that kicker even made it back. Like, did that, did that kicker get back to Minnesota? We don't know. Someone put out a fucking missing person report because that was embarrassing. 
I mean, special teams in general was embarrassing for this Vikings team. A lot of miscues in that regard. Cardinals end up winning, though. They were three-and-a-half-point favorites. They win 34-33 off a missed kick by Minnesota. Highest-graded players. Max Williams looked good, tight end for Arizona. Mm -hmm. He was their highest-graded player. Christian Kirk also came up with a handful of big plays. And Isaiah Simmons continues to look really good in year two. I'm, I'm overly impressed with his run defense, Mike. Like, that, I think, is where he's had some of the biggest improvements. And then for the Vikings, Xavier Woods, Ezra Cleveland, and Kirk Cousins, the three highest-graded players for Minnesota. I'll start with Arizona, my takeaway. Kyler was playing out of his mind. That's obvious. He's been phenomenal so far. But how much credit of that does does it go to Cliff? Are we – because I know I'm – you know, I, I've, I've ridiculed Cliff, Cliff on a handful of these shows here. Mm-hmm. But how much credit are you giving to Cliff? How much credit are you giving to Kyler? I think on the eyeball test tells me that Kyler is doing a lot of this on his own. But is Cliff actually putting them in a position to succeed? Where's your head there? Yeah, I mean, it still to me looks like it's going to be Kyler's show. Like mm-hmm. it, Kyler, make go out and make plays for us. Um, and again, a lot of the big plays in this one were not were not schemes. We're not a part of the play. It was Kyler doing Kyler things. So that yeah is still a concern going forward. The other takeaway I had was Kirk Cousins, for all the, you know, there's people already mocking Spencer Rattler in Minnesota Vikings uniforms, is is not the reason this Vikings team is losing football games. I mean, through two weeks, only Tom Brady has a higher graded, is a higher graded passer and from a clean pocket through two weeks. Like, he is playing good football and not the reason Minnesota is losing games. On the other hand, this defense is playing terribly. The Vi- obviously, the special teams, a big loss in this one. I-, I am more concerned with everything but Kirk Cousins than I am actually Kirk Cousins. He is not the reason Minnesota is down. Yeah, I came in this year thinking this defense would be one of the best in football. I, I thought it would be the reason they won games, and that has decidedly, obviously, not been the case, uh, especially in this one. I-, I, I'm worried about that secondary, and... Obviously, Brashad Breland getting hurt, but he's been a disaster when starting. Uh, Cameron Dancer came in towards the end of the, that half after he did get hurt. Hopefully, he plays more. Builds, yeah, exactly <laughs> more. But Patrick Peterson's been the one that it's like that already two touchdowns in the year gave up the one to DeAndre Hopkins in this game. That I, I just thought he would look better in this defense. Really, is not. Man, you hate to see it. You just hate to see it in Minnesota right now. Not a lot of reasons for optimism. Outside of Kirk. I'll say it again. Mm. Outside of Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Falcons at Bucks. My goodness. I, I, I might have overrated the Falcons. I didn't even think they were going to be that good. But this has been horrendous. Offensive line is awful. This yeah. defense is struggling, man. They laid an egg against Philly in week one. Couldn't even cover the spread here. There were 13-point dogs against the Bucks on the road could not even cover the spread in this game they lose 48 to 25 complete dismantlement down the stretch Mike Edwards had two picks six I mean this was hard to watch if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan Mike Edwards is the highest graded player for the Bucks in this game then Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady at two and three for Falcons Chris Lindstrom actually played well in 83.7 grade and then after that Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett the number two and number three graded players but not even them clearing 73.0 overall. This Bucks offensive line through two weeks is my main takeaway. This Bucks offensive line through two weeks has allowed the lowest pressure rate of any team in the NFL. They're dominant. Tom Brady, you could argue, has been the most impressive quarterback in the NFL through two weeks. Yeah. I, I, I think, I said it after week one, this is the best team in the NFL. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the best team in the NFL, and they continue to be, especially with Tom Brady playing, I would argue, an MVP level already, this offensive line holding up. And defensively, like, it's a it's a house. I mean, th- this is we we said it all off season. 
It's the most complete roster. You could argue, you know, one to fifty-three. It's the best roster. They're coming off an incredible Super Bowl season and only got better. They maintained all twenty-two starters. No surprises. A lot of confirmed priors for the Bucks for two through two weeks. Yeah, the Bucks are starting to look like kind of how the Chiefs have looked the past two years, where it's like you make one, two mistakes, and all of a sudden they bury you. All of a sudden it's just like that game looked, oh my gosh, it might be tight during the second half, and it's like all of a sudden it's 48-25, and this is not even uh, fun anymore. That's how the Bucks look on, honestly, both sides of the ball. And one of the biggest take was just Gronk, man. What, what is going on? Four touchdowns through two weeks, 12 of 14 targets, 129 yards, one of the highest grade tight ends in the NFL, like, the man's 32. He retired. Took a year off. How is this? It doesn't seem possible that he's looking better than he did three years ago. Wild. Wild to see. You've seen that stat that Sam Monson has pushed out, though. Gronk, I think, is he's only the same like a, age as Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's some, I don't know. I mean, it, it truly was back issues. And if those resolved, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what it was. If they have gotten better or relieved, then... I can see why he looks better than he has ever had. Because 32 should not be the end of a career for a tight end. I mean, Antonio Gates was catching passes till he was, what, 38 or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Just to update you on some of the bets I've made, Tom Brady, I think, was plus 1,600 to win the MVP. He's now plus 750. Mm, sell that ticket. And offensive <laughs> offensive player of the year, I think he's still around plus you know plus 2,000 or something along those lines. Tom Brady, I don't know, man. I'm starting to, I'm starting to get interested because this guy's cruising. Through two weeks, he's going to look good. I don't think it's going to look that much worse. The Bucks' offensive line, like I said, dominant. Defensively, the other takeaway I had, this, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense has allowed 0.4 yards before contact per attempt, the lowest in the NFL. No running back is getting through that front line. Meanwhile, Atlanta's defensive line has the lowest pressure rate in the NFL, cannot create pressure to save their lives. What, I, I, my takeaway was a question, Mike. What the hell do the Falcons do? Like, How do you right this ship? I don't know what you do. With Matt Ryan, I don't know what you do defensively. There's so much that needs to be changed for Atlanta to even get close to being back on track. I'm not even talking about this season. I'm talking about 2022, 2023. Do you just got to blow this thing up? I, I don't know what you have to do. It, it it looks like they might be I, – I would, I would probably trade Matt Ryan after this year, honestly, because he's at the point where it's so bad and, and – and the talent is so far away, and you could use the cap space so much that shit, like, and you could use the pick so much. Because Matt Ryan didn't play awful in this game. By the time Matt Ryan, or by the time, like, you're back good as a roster competing again, Matt Ryan might be retiring, and then you're, you're kind of SOL. So if you really are thinking what's in the best long-term interest, that might be it. On to Cowboys at Chargers. Chargers were favored by three in this game, but ended up losing at home 20 to 17 even though it wasn't much of a home game my god dallas cowboys fans traveled to la before i get to the game tailgate is sponsored by western southern financial group while you focus on your roster moves western southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com slash pff highest graded players for the cowboys in this one zach martin was dominant 95.5 pff grade micah parsons playing a new position doesn't matter, 89.9 grade, the number two graded player. C.D. Lamb, top three graded player as well. For the Chargers, Austin Eckler, Matt Filer, and Mike Williams, the three highest graded players. Dak continues to look really good. That was the one takeaway I had. And Micah Parsons, 
I tweeted it today. Best pass rusher in this class by a mile. Now he's playing defensive end. He's freaking havoc. Because that game he had, which he has not played a lot of defensive end this year, Mike, was the highest single-game pass rush win rate we've seen by a rookie since Joey Bosa in 2016. Mm. That's how good he was. Yes, going against Storm Norton. Yes, going against a bad you know uh, 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 tackle, but still playing really, really well. Eight pressures, man. He, he was. And he doesn't really – I mean, he doesn't really have any – refined moves yet he's just so (laughs) physically dominant and i I said last week say it again like he was edge one in this track class if he wanted to play edge like that's the type of athlete we're working with here and yeah he's a little undersized and yeah that's about as easy as uh sort of matchup as you'll get all season but he just got told the day before he was about to play defensive end you know like he (laughs) he literally just just was told the day before and dominates to that level. I don't care who you are to, a, to get a 90.8 pass rushing grade on 27 pass rushes ain't easy in the NFL. And he just did it on a whim. This guy is he's going to be special. That was, like I said, he was the best linebacker prospect we've seen. And you are seeing why that's the case. Other takeaway I had is Justin Herbert continues to really, really impress. I think he's looked really good. He had that bad interception in this game. And he had another ugly one in the first game. I can't explain those two. Because he's looked good otherwise. Those two picks were disgusting. This offensive line, though, Storm Norton really let him down, I think. And it did not, you know, it did not. That ultimately kind of cost him staying in this one. Yeah, the Chargers, they can't get out of their own way, man. Like, they, they, as good as Justin Herbert's playing and, like, everyone's raving about him, they score, what, 20 points last week, 17 points this week? Like, for when yeah. your quarterback plays well and is looking good, you should be a scoring, lot of drops in week one. You, exactly, you should be scoring thirty plus points out there when your quarterback's playing that well. But penalties, drops, just overall miscues. The Chargers, like they they look like they can compete with the top teams in the NFC, AFC. Look like they can be a Super Bowl caliber roster, but they got to get out of their own way. Yep. You got to stop making those mistakes. I, I tweeted out earlier: Justin Herbert most yards called back of any quarterback this year due to penalty. Only Patrick Mahomes had more in a game last se- all last season. That's like you can't lo- you can't win a lot of games when you have eighty three passing yards called back. I will say that in the grasp sack thing that we saw late in that game was dog yeah. shit. That was terrible. I thought it should have been if it wasn't intentional grounding, intentional grounding because he didn't get back to the line of scrimmage. I guess either kinda, way, it was bad. Yeah. All right, Titans at Seahawks. Seahawks were favored by six and a half in this one. They end up losing outright late game. Titans win thirty three thirty. Ryan Tannehill looked really good, 91.7 grade, but Derrick Henry honestly took over in this one multiple times, making the defense look foolish. He had an 85.2 grade, and then offensive lineman David Questenberry also playing well for the Titans, number three graded player for the Seahawks, Dwayne Brown, Puna Ford, and Al Woods. Massive improvement for my guy Todd Downing. Mm. Higher rate of play action. What was it? Let's hear it. How much play action? Fifth, I think it was over 20%, which is a huge Ooh. win. It's a massive win. Todd Downing. And they were down for a lot of that game. To well, they, you got to get back to it. You yeah. have to get back to it. Todd Downing improved. I also think like a lot of it also was just Derrick Henry being a legitimate monster. Like He was mm-hmm. borderline untackable tackleable on a handful of the yeah. run he had. So, um, And Tannehill played out of his mind. Like I mean, Tannehill had another really, really good game. So Downing, I tipped a cap. Tannehill, Derrick Henry, your two stars, your two highest-graded players in this game. They're the reason they ultimately did not, you know, not only cover the six and a half on the road, mind you, but also win this game outright. Okay. My biggest takeaway was that Julio reversal was one of the most inexplicable reversals I've ever seen. There was not a definitive angle that showed a heel out of bounds. Now, there wasn't one that showed a heel with grass in between it and out of bounds, but that doesn't mean that it was out of bounds. Like, for it to 
for you to call that, it has to be certain. And that was anything but, in my opinion, that I did not agree with that being overturned. I'll just say that. Uh, the other takeaway I had, secondary for the Seahawks, I think, is still a bit of a struggle. And I think you saw that on some of the big runs. You also saw that in the, you know, on some of the big receptions that, uh, or the big completions that Ryan Tannehill had. But the other thing, too, the defensive line continues to look at least, you know, exceeding expectations from what we thought. Like, I mean, I think they are getting more pressure on the quarterback than I think a lot of people thought. Still, Seahawks, like you said, are not the worst team in the NFC West. It, you know, I think the, the 49ers still are. But you got to win, you got to end up winning this football game. I don't think they ended up doing that down the stretch. Okay. My other takeaway. Did A.J. Brown just look – he almost looked disinterested in this game. It was weird. So three drops on the day. He has the one, like, weird go ball where he's running with his hands outstretched for, like, 10 yards, which you never see from a wide receiver. Like, it's always, you know, late hands, late hands, late hands. And he's running with his hands outstretched and hits it, has it hit off his fingertips. And you have to think if he runs normally and then just extends it the last second, he should be able to get that. Has a bad drop. Uh before safety is about to hit him over up the seam, kind of just looked like he didn't really even go for it that intently. And had another bad drop when Tannehill dropped a dime on him up the right sideline. Like he was just not engaged in that game. That was a un, very uncharacteristic AJ Brown kind of game. Poor AJ Brown. What do you think the reason for that is? Do you have any idea? I don't know. Like it just, <laughs> it was very weird. It was watching it. I'm like, that, he looks like. It was almost like he wasn't even, like I said, it almost looked disinterested when the ball was coming his way. I, hard to explain necessarily, but it was uncharacteristic, I'll just say. And the last takeaway, Nick Bloor, the hit before the end of the first half, was sick. Very sick. <laughs> Nick Bloor, friend of the show. Seahawks special teamer, legend. Mm. Chiefs at Ravens, last recap here. We also obviously recording this before the Green Bay Packers. Hopeful bludgeoning of the Detroit Lions. They're favored by 11. We need a big bounce back week for Aaron Rodgers if you're going to maintain a your Packers stakeholdership. Uh Ravens win this I'll have game. To sell my share. <laughs> Ravens win this game 36-35 over the Chiefs. They were actually 4-point dogs at home, so they end up covering the number and winning outright. Highest graded player in this game for the Ravens? Alejandro Villanueva back at left tackle, which you just love to see. Marquise Brown also graded well. Odafe Owe had that late force fumble and recovery. Uh, against Clyde Edwards-Solaire, he was the number three graded player. And then for the Chiefs, Travis Kelsey earned a 91.4 grade. A lot of that off of that just absurd pitch and catch yards. After, you know, he had, that was an absurd touchdown he had late in that game. And after that, no grade, no player graded above 80. Lucas Niang, 75.2, and Trey Smith, 73.1. My biggest takeaway, Lamar Jackson is an absolute problem. And I know mm. after week one, we talked about his costly errors, the fumbles. But when he has time, and you saw Alejandro Villanueva give him that, and they have this run-first approach. I think they ran with him a lot more effectively against the Chiefs. I think that was also like a mindset they had. He's a problem. I mean, he, he did the two most efficient offenses in week, week two, the Ravens and the Chiefs, and they were, the Ravens were the more efficient offense because yeah. Lamar Jackson, the jump pass, all those things, he was efficient there. But like, like when you can run the football as effectively as they did and they carved the Chiefs up, that's – I mean, this is a hard offense to beat. Yes, and it was – it was always going to be a challenge. I mean, they are – they. I don't care what their offensive line is, how talented their offensive line is. When you have Lamar and you have Greg Roman throwing what he throws at you in the running game, it's a difficult ask for any defense. And that's why I don't think the sky is falling, KC, and a lot of people after how much they got rolled up on the ground week one against the Browns, how much they got rolled up this week. It's like you face probably the two of the top three to four rushing attacks in the NFL. 
over the first two weeks. And teams that are wholly committed to the run. Those teams rely on that run game first, pass game second. So I, I don't think the sky is falling, the fact that you kind of got carved up a little by both of those teams. I still think they'll be fine. But I am worried about Frank Clark. Like, he is basically taking paychecks right now. <laughs> and 34.9 overall grade in this one. I obviously was banged up in week one, first game back from that. But 53 snaps, 34.9 overall grade, only one pressure. This, is the, this guy has the seventh highest cap hit of any player in the NFL this year. Is the seventh highest cap. Even hit. quarterbacks? Even quarterbacks. Holy like shit. Said, any player in the NFL, seventh highest. And he had 34.9 overall grade. You give a first round pick for this guy to pay him the seventh highest cap hit. That is no so bueno. Uh, and he's got what? An impending felony charge? Yikes. <laughs> Fuck. Frank Clark just caught an absolute, Rick, I mean, not a ricochet, an absolute direct shot, sniper to the dome, maybe right from the so. Um, maybe an Uzi. Patrick Mahomes loses in a shootout. Was my other takeaway, and I, I mean honestly, they're they're Clyde Edwards Lair fumble away from winning this game. I, I think they, if Andy Reid doesn't call a run there and they just lean on Mahomes, uh, the best quarterback in the NFL, I think the Chiefs win this one. We're, we're talking about it a little differently. Not not I would not only agree with your skies not falling, but honestly, they're still the number two team in the NFL. Like I, I they're not they're not nothing's wrong. Okay, yeah. everything's okay. The Baltimore Ravens are good and they won this game. But like again. If Clyde Edwards-Hilaire does not fumble that ball, I think Harrison Butker kicks a game-winning field goal yeah. to win this game. And it's um, ultimately the Chiefs would be 2-0 and and all that stuff. They don't cover the number, unfortunate. But still, Patrick Mahomes looked like what like didn't even look great in this game, but still that offense was, like I said, the number two efficient offense, uh, winning after the catch with Nicole Harmon I thought looked good. Marcus Robinson kind of touched down. Kelsey obviously still being. They didn't even have a good Tyreek Hill game. And this Chiefs offense was still impressive. So, All right, my last one. Odafe Owe, baby. Looks good. Yeah. And now still, you know, as a pass rusher, still not like – he didn't look like Michael Parsons by any means. He didn't look like uh, – he knows what he's doing every single snap for sure. But he's close. Like he's getting better. 86.3 overall grade in this one. Obviously the massive force fumble, fumble recovery playing into that in a big way. Basically the game winner there. Uh but the sack he had on Mahomes prior to that, or not the sack, the hit that ended up getting picked, him chasing him down outside the pocket, doing things that guys who don't run four fours can't do. Dafai Owe, Ravens got to be excited for that, dude. Last predictions for Lions at Packers. Where's the line at now? Is it 11 or is it 12? Lions at Packers. Is it minus 11, minus 12? Got 12 here. 12, minus 12. Where, where, what's your last final predictions for that? Obviously, I, people listening to this to, podcast tomorrow will have to see. But You know I don't want You know I don't want to pick that. You don't want to pick that? I don't want to pick I'm going to take the Packers to cover. All I'm right. going to take the Packers to cover because we need it. We need it. The shareholders need it. The shareholders literally need it against Detroit at home on Monday Night Football. Why not us? Um, these last few segments are great. If you don't, t- you tune in for the NFL review. Stick around for the fun to read, the fun to watch. Watch, cake your pants, rookie of the week, blackout, all this stuff. Fun to read. We'll start with the Jacksonville Jaguars yes. making the fun to read. For those who don't know, the fun to read is just is absurd tweet we pretty much see on Twitter. It could also be something we see on a broadcast, Instagram, OnlyFans, wherever you know our eyes are. Jacksonville Jaguars sent out this after week two. Hang in there with us. It's a graphic. Look it up. Hang in there with us. We're going to get better. The one thing about Jacksonville in the 904, go to sleep knowing there's not going to be any group working harder to get this thing flipped. You read that, and it's a quote from Urban Meyer. You think this fucking Jacksonville Jaguars team you know, committed arson or something. Like, this is just like, like after a natural disaster. It's got, like, such a... 
It's like what the what Washington like sent out after uh, you know, Ron Rivera had like cancer again. It's like I have to do like a, like an awful, awful. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. You th- you thought someone like died or something bad happened. No, it's just their own tell. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, this thing got quote tweeted into oblivion. No one was all that thrilled with this one. The hang in there with us piece is just incredible. Like, they're zero and two. You don't have to send this out. No, no one expected them to be juggernauts. They're zero and two. Yeah. It's okay. I don't know, man. That's tough. It's tough. Uh, fun to read, though. Charles Woodson, our second fun to read, woke up this morning thinking at Micah Parsons, 11, maybe the best pass rusher in all of football, at NFL on Fox. <laughs> little little it, overreaction, it, Mike? Or do you think that you know fans and people you know give us shit for overreacting to one performance? It's like everyone's capable of it, and this is an unbelievable overreaction. Micah Parsons going up against a backup third string right tackle who uh, has never been good. <laughs> and calling him the best pass rusher in the NFL after one performance is just like easy chalk. Easy chalk. Fun to read segments always one of my favorites now, but this one is is definitely my favorite. Fun to watch, watch. Now, for those who don't follow the podcast consistently, fun to watch is something we talk about a ton on the show. Because a lot of people tweet out the phrase fun to watch about football and pretend it's like a take or whatever, and it's honestly just not. And we've, you know highlighted people that just continue to highlight, you know, say fun to watch and, and have a good time with it. Yeah. You might as well just say, you know, they're playing, he's playing football. Yeah. Football is fun to watch. Now, can you read off what we already have on our fun to watch oh, list yeah, before we, we add yeah. this next? We have five graduates here. Five, five <laughs> graduates entering week. the fun to watch watch. I also appreciate everyone that tags mm. me or Mike yes. in these tweets. We continue need to, to get do tags. So. We continue need the to tags. So. Yeah. So Tyler Huntley. The backup quarterback for the Ravens got nominated. That was Sam Monson. Fun to and watch. Jordan Love's high-end plays, fun to watch. <laughs> Georgia's punt team was fun to watch. That was Pat McAfee call-out. Minnesota's run game, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, not the Minnesota Vikings. Wandale Robinson, who I have to agree, the Kentucky wide receiver, is very fun to watch. Rashawn Slater and Jalen Hurts also got some noms last week. And we got a packed house. Packed fun house. to watch this week. Read them off for us. Marcus Spears of ESPN, the confidence of Daniel Jones. So add this to the list. Daniel Jones' confidence okay. is fun to watch. Daniel Jones' confidence. Daniel Jones' confidence from Marcus Spears of ESPN. Then we have Russell Brown at Russ NFL Draft, currently with cover one. Tank Bigsby is fun to watch, man. I couldn't agree more. The best running back in college football. Yeah, I can't believe. Also fun to watch. That he would be fun. Friend of the show. Oh, no, not fr- we'll get to that one later. Ben Baby, who I believe covers the Bengals for ESPN. Yeah. Yes. Joe Burrow. Oh, no, this is Joe Burrow on Bears quarterback Justin Fields. As he keeps progressing, he's going to be fun to watch. God damn it, Joe Burrow. Justin Fields. Joe Burrow is on the fun to watch Joe watch. Joe Burrow got on the fun to watch watch. It's incredible. All right. Now we have friend of the show, Jim Nagy. Raiders need more primetime games just so we get more Max Crosby. Such a fun player to watch. Agreed. Such a fun player. Couldn't agree more. And the last one we have here. 72nd on the PFF draft board in 2019. Booger from ESPN. I played against some really good centers. The best was Olin Cruz. So let, let's pause there. He called, He had a take. Yeah. The best center he played against was Olin Cruz, former Bears offensive center. Oh, yeah. This one was close because he has a take in this one. But then he also I would have loved watch. to see Jason Kelsey in the trenches. He plays the game at an elite level and almost disqualifies it. And then he says, and is fun to watch. Yeah. So I mean, that's I'm how you should. I'm going to disqualify Booger. I was going to say, that's how you should have a take if you're doing a fun to watch. Is You say, this is how good he is. Or bad. Or whatever. And it's fun to watch. I'm, so I'm Booger, not letting Booger join the list. And Jason Kelsey. He is fun to watch. 
but he's not coming on the fun to watch list. Oh, and okay. I forgot the not fun to watch was Kirk Cousins. <laughs> <laughs> he got the not fun to watch list. All right. The uh, kick your pants moment of the weekend. DJ Graham's interception to Oklahoma cornerback. Now, if you haven't seen it, obviously go look it up. Insane Just type in DJ Graham interception. Yeah. It was it was one of those that as soon as it hit his hand, he had caught it because he didn't use Your brother one, grades one-handers, too. Yeah. Brother grades one-handers. That was a high grade from him. And, yeah, it was fourth down, and, yeah, it cost him field position, but it was still sick. But I had people saying it might have been the best interception ever, and I disagree. The best interception ever. And I will not – I have not seen anything close to topping it. Wow. It was back in 2010 when Oklahoma State, do you remember the guy who was jumping out of bounds, catches the ball, throws it back oh, in bounds? Oh, that's right, yeah. That's the best interception ever because not only was it, like, a nice – catch to like go get the ball in the first place or nice play there but the sort of thought process to that quickly say i'm going to throw it back to a teammate was insanity so that was broderick brown back 2010 oklahoma state go look it up throws it back to his teammate sean lewis to pick off landry jones that in my opinion is the best interception ever rookie of the week i think this one's obvious i think charles woodson would agree yeah michael parsons that, that was i, I said I, I said when it happened that I think he's – when DeMarcus Lawrence got hurt, I'm like, he's their best defensive end if DeMarcus Lawrence is hurt. Like, he really is. And now he never really played there at Penn State, but you just have to watch him rush the passer a few times when he was there to realize this guy has the goods, the size, the athleticism, whatever, all he has. All that's really – that's why he did end up playing linebackers. He has 31-and-a-half-inch arms, which is shorter for a defensive end. Same, same as Carl Lawson, though, so it's not untenable. But, man, he gave Storm Norton the biz. Any interest in even when Demarcus Lawrence comes back, just him rotating there? him down more there? I mean, I mean, because they have linebacker depth. Count O'Neill, Trebill Cox, like they, you know, Leighton Vanderesh, Jalen Smith. They have linebacker depth. Why not play him there more? So, it's a it's a sort of sticky situation in terms of like there's a lot at play here. Obviously, I think, like I said, he does not have the length you would traditionally want for an edge. I, I think at linebacker he can be special there in his all-around play but you have six edge rushers making over 20 million dollars a year not a single off-ball linebacker you have uh i think it's somewhere in 17 making 15 plus million dollars a year only four off-ball linebackers like edge is the more valuable the position that's paid more in the nfl getting guys who can rush the passer is one of the most difficult skills to find off-ball linebackers i mean shit they have a bunch in dallas so from that perspective, if you're thinking right now, which team's going to be, how is my team better? It's with Mike Parsons at edge, with Jabril Cox, LVEC, and the field more. Uh, because the difference between like Micah Parsons and edge three is a lot bigger on edge than it is between Micah Parsons and linebacker and linebacker three. But I don't know. I, I do think you can be a special off ball linebacker too. So it's kind of a. I don't think you can go wrong yeah. sort of situation here with Micah Parsons. Win win. Yeah. Blackout of the week, blackout performance from a rookie. Uh, I, I, I think people, Jets fans also wanted to black out watching this game. Zach Wilson gets yeah. his nomination. It was the, I mean, going up against Bill Belichick ain't easy, but it was particularly bad for him in that one. And you still saw the high end place. You saw some nice throws down the football field that people fall in love with. But man, you do worry about some bad habits starting behind that offline because he was happy feet to the max. Nothing coming from just no confidence stepping into anything. Last but not least, our tailgate review. If go. you stuck around long enough to listen to the Penn State tailgate review, you're in for an absolute treat. I, we talked a lot about this on the drive back. By the way, 
kick your pants moment, your drive back from Penn State <laughs> was absolutely sensational. Me and producer Dave Sofaro trying to sleep. So right after the game, we leave. We leave mm-hmm. right around like 1130, like as the game is like closing. You haul us back to Cincinnati in the car under six hours. We get back in under six hours. You stay up eating sunflower seeds and whatever. I get us down. back in time to sleep just enough to like wake up in, in time for the games on Sunday. Kudos to you, my guy. That was unreal. But let's get into the actual tailgate review. I put down a bag and a half of sunflower seeds, and I listened to this audiobook called The Body that I would highly recommend. That just basically <laughs> breaks down how every system yeah, in your body works. Me. It was awesome. In the middle of that drive, very... I remember waking up. And it'd be like this fucking English dude's voice, and like vitamins are actually <laughs> like all this fucking crazy shit. It was uh, it was an interesting audiobook to hear in space. I mean p- pieces. So anyway, positives. Holy God, the the Penn State fandom is a cult. It is ravenous. Yeah, there were so many people tailgating that game. It was all that anyone was doing on Saturday. Yeah, I mean they saw it was the tenth uh, largest audience in attendance in Beaver Stadium history. Almost 110,000 people. And that doesn't even include all the people that were just outside, not even going to the game, tailgating. It was, I mean, from like a crowd and intent perspective, Mm -hmm. everyone there was locked in and ready to rumble. And that, I think, is so much for, you know, events. And when you're tailgating, you you need that. Yeah, it was. We were there. We got to the press box about an hour before the game. And the student section was almost full, which was I've never seen that before in my life. Um the the situation basically the stadium how it's set up there at beaver stadium you have three massive lots right around the stadium so there's no i know a lot of other colleges kind of you get some disjointed tailgating you'll get like one lot that's like a few blocks from stadium one lot right next to stadium like it costs more yeah like columbus where it's kind of a little disjointed like the energy's there but everyone's not in the same place there it's like you can bounce between tailgates so easily it was all right there the only kind of downside was you were very far from campus i'd say you're not Mm -hmm. necessarily campus you're probably about two miles from the bars where people were at before that Mm -hmm. so that's that was kind of maybe the only downside of it but man the bars that we went to i was a fan of champs downtown had a very good setup to Mm -hmm. watch games seemed like a cool place the place we went to eat the field just outside of campus was my opinion, very good. So high, high score, high, high score for that. Like I'll I read said, it off. I'll read it off. What? 95.3 yeah. tailgate review for Penn State. That's if a bu- it's bucket not list. on your bucket list. Yeah, it really was. Like they, every, they were raving about it on game day. Rave, everyone's like, oh, the whiteout, you got to see it. You really have to. It was a very cool environment. I think if when we go back, yeah. we got to go back as fans because we weren't really able to like let loose yeah. in the press box, that work in the game, the... all that stuff. But like if you can let loose with these kids out there, there's the field lot where it was just absolutely rowdy. There's no cars, all tents. Yep. Saquon Barkley was playing beer pong with the fellas. He was. So drawing a crowd. People were playing stump, or like a stump like the size of this table. Yeah, was it was the biggest. A... Someone sliced like a redwood in half. It was absurd. Or no, Sequoia. That's the bigger one. Sorry. Sorry. It, it, it was, uh, again, like – I don't. I don't know. My. I know we're going to Morgantown. We're going to Knoxville. We're going to Tuscaloosa. We're going to Baton Rouge. Yeah. I don't know if we're gonna if if a tailgate surpasses Penn State, including the game, including the wideout. I'd be fucking stunned because that was unreal. Yeah, an absolute run, real time. Well, follow us along on the PFF tailgate tour. Next stop, we are heading to Soldier Field in Chicago, Notre Dame versus Wisconsin, where we hope to see our Fighting Irish. 
take a dub. They're five and a half point dogs, Mike. I don't know if you saw that. Could be rough time. Jack Cohn, Graham Mertz. We'll see. Until next time, the Wednesday episode, like I said, will be the college football week three review. We're also going to look at more rookie content, preview the games on the Thursday episode, mailbag trivia, all that stuff. Keep listening. Subscribe, review, rate, all that stuff. Tailgate, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Safaro, Max Chadwick, Mike Renner. Tailgate. Tailgate.